Today is June 25th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and welcome to day number 176 of our year-long adventure through the Word of God. And as we do every day, we have a rich and diverse lineup for today's reading. Each passage has something unique and powerful to teach us about God, about ourselves, and the world that we live in, and I'm excited to explore it with you. In 2 Kings, we'll see how God works through Elisha to fulfill his promises and judgments on the kings of Israel and Judah, as well as their enemies. The passage also foreshadows some of the events that are going to happen later in the history of Israel and Judah. For example, the anointing of King Jehu, or the anointing of Jehu as king, I should say, that was a part of God's plan to end the dynasty of Ahab and to punish the worship of Baal that Ahab and Jezebel had promoted. However, Jehu himself did not follow God wholeheartedly, and he continued to worship the golden calves that Jeroboam had set up. As a result, God allowed Hazael of Aram, we're going to encounter him today, to attack Israel and reduce its territory. And we're going to read it, but watch the part where Hazael is taken aback when Elisha tells him what he would eventually do, he being Hazael. Hazael, when Elisha says this to him, he was shook. He was like, what? Who? Me? How? Not me. He didn't even know he was capable of the evil Elisha predicted that he would do. He was genuinely oblivious. And it made me think about how often we underestimate our own capacity for wrongdoing. We may think that we're too strong or too good to engage in certain behaviors and actions, but the truth is that our true potential is only revealed when we face challenging situations or tempting circumstances. It's in these moments that we recognize our vulnerability and the need for God's grace and guidance to steer us away from from sin and harm. We also have to be careful about who we choose to hang out with, who we allow in our circles, because they can either bring out the best in us or the worst in us. And it's not always easy to tell which they are at first. We need to follow God wholeheartedly and not compromise lest we fool around and find out how sick our hearts really are without God's grace and power. That's why I make it a habit to constantly ask God to search my heart and purify me. I don't know what's lurking in there. It is definitely a prayer worth repeating to stay grounded and in tune with his will. And then over in Acts, we'll follow Paul and Silas as they encounter opposition, persecution, and imprisonment for their faith. But we'll also see how God uses their suffering to bring about salvation. Now, alongside these narratives, we'll find solace in the comforting words of Psalm 143 and discover wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Since it is the beginning of a new week, we're reading from a different translation today. It's one we've read from before, the Message Bible. This is a contemporary and paraphrased version of the Bible that aims to capture the tone and meaning of the original languages in our everyday language. It's a great way to get a fresh perspective on familiar passages or to understand difficult passages more clearly. 
Okay, I think that's enough of an intro to orient us in the story. Let's get going, growing, and flowing in God's Word, 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1 through chapter 9, verse 13. Years before, Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought to life, leave here and go, you and your family, and live someplace else. God has ordered a famine in the land, and it will last for seven years. The woman did what the holy man told her and left. She and her family lived as aliens in the country of Philistia for seven years. Then, when the seven years were up, the woman and her family came back. She went directly to the king and asked for her home and farm. The king was talking with Gehazi, servant to the holy man, saying, Tell me some of the stories of the great things Elisha did. It so happened that as he was telling the king of the story of the dead person brought back to life, the woman whose son was brought to life showed up asking for her home and farm. Gehazi said, My master the king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha brought back to life. The king wanted to know all about it, and so she told him the story. The king assigned an officer to take care of her, saying, Make sure she gets everything back that's hers, plus all profits from the farm from the time she left until now. Elisha traveled to Damascus. Benadad, king of Aram, was sick at the time. He was told, The holy man is in town. The king ordered Hazael, Take a gift with you and go meet the holy man. Ask God through him, Am I going to recover from this sickness? Hazael went and met with Elisha. He brought with him every choice thing he could think of from Damascus, 40 camel loads of items. When he arrived, he stood before Elisha and said, Your son Benadad, king of Aram, sent me here to ask you, Am I going to recover from this sickness? Elisha answered, Go and tell him, Don't worry, you'll live. The fact is, though, God showed me that he's doomed to die. Elisha then stared hard at Hazael, reading his heart. Hazael felt exposed and dropped his eyes. Then the holy man wept. Hazael said, Why does my master weep? Because, said Elisha, I know what you're going to do to the children of Israel. Burn down their forts, murder their youth, smash their babies, rip open their pregnant women. Hazael said, Am I a mongrel dog that I do such a horrible thing? God showed me, said Elisha, that you'll be king of Aram. Hazael left Elisha and returned to his master who asked, So what did Elisha tell you? He told me, Don't worry, you'll live. But the very next day, someone took a heavy quilt, soaked it in water, covered the king's face, and suffocated him. Now Hazael was king. Jehoram of Judah In the fifth year of the reign of Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, became king. He was 32 years old when he began his rule and was king for eight years in Jerusalem. He copied the way of life of the kings of Israel, marrying into the Ahab family, and continuing the Ahab line of sin, from God's point of view, an evil man living an evil life. But despite that, because of his servant David, God was not ready to destroy Judah. He had, after all, promised to keep a lamp burning through David's descendants. During Jehoram's reign, Edom revolted against Judah's rule and set up their own king. 
Jehoram responded by taking his army of chariots to Zair. Edom surrounded him, but in the middle of the night, he and his charioteers broke through the lines and hit Edom hard, but his infantry deserted him. Edom continues in revolt against Judah right up to the present. Even little Libna revolted at that time. The rest of the life and times of Jehoram, the record of his rule, is written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. Jehoram died and was buried in the family grave in the city of David. His song Ahaziah succeeded him as king. Ahaziah of Judah In the twelfth year of the reign of Joram son of Ahab king of Israel, Ahaziah son of Jehoram king of Judah began his reign. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he became king. He ruled only a year in Jerusalem. His mother was Atalia, granddaughter of Omri king of Israel. He lived and ruled just like the Ahab family had done, continuing the same evil in God's sight line of sin related by both marriage and sin to the Ahab clan. He joined Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, in a war against Hazael, king of Aram, at Ramoth-Gilead. The archers wounded Joram. Joram pulled back to Jezreel to convalesce from the injuries he had received in the fight with Hazael. Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of Judah, paid a visit to Joram, son of Ahab, on his sickbed in Jezreel. Jehu of Israel One day, Elisha the prophet ordered a member of the guild of prophets, Get yourself ready, take a flask of oil, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. Look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. When you find him, get him away from his companions and take him to a back room. Take your flask of oil and pour it over his head and say, God's word, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and get out of there as fast as you can. Don't wait around. The young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. On arrival, he found the army officers all sitting around. He said, I have a matter of business with you, officer. Jehu said, which one of us? With you, officer. He got up and went inside the building. The young prophet poured the oil on his head and said, God's word, the God of Israel, I've anointed you to be king over the people of God over Israel. Your assignment is to attack the regime of Ahab, your master. I am avenging the massacre of my servants, the prophets. Yes, the Jezebel massacre of all the prophets of God. The entire line of Ahab is doomed. I'm wiping out the entire bunch of that sad lot. I'll see to it that the family of Ahab experiences the same fate as the family of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the family of Baasha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, the dogs will eat her carcass in the open fields of Jezreel. No burial for her. Then he opened the door and made a run for it. Jehu went back out to his master's officers. They asked, Is everything all right? What did that crazy fool want with you? He said, You know that kind of man. All talk. That's a lie, they said. Tell us what's going on. He said, He told me this and this and this. In effect, God's word, I anoint you king of Israel. They sprang into action. Each man grabbed his robe. They piled them at the top of the steps for a makeshift throne. Then they blew the trumpet and declared, Jehu is king. Acts chapter 16 verses 16 through 40. Beaten up and thrown in jail. 
One day, on our way to the place of prayer, an enslaved girl ran into us. She was a psychic and, with her fortune-telling, made a lot of money for the people who owned her. She started following Paul around, calling everyone's attention to us by yelling out, These men are working for the Most High God. They're laying out the road of salvation for you. She did this for a number of days until Paul, finally fed up with her, turned and commanded the spirit that possessed her out in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of her. And it was gone, just like that. When her owners saw that their lucrative little business was suddenly bankrupt, they went after Paul and Silas, roughed them up, and dragged them into the market square. Then the police arrested them and pulled them into a court with the accusation, These men are disturbing the peace, dangerous Jewish agitators subverting our Roman law and order. By this time, the crowd had turned into a restless mob out for blood. The judges went along with the mob, had Paul and Silas's clothes ripped off, and ordered a public beating. After beating them black and blue, they threw them into jail, telling the jailkeeper to put them under heavy guard so there would be no chance of escape. He did just that, threw them into the maximum security cell in the jail, and clamped leg irons on them. Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then, without warning, a huge earthquake. The jailhouse tottered, every door flew open, all the prisoners were loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring he was as good as dead anyway, when Paul stopped him. Don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away. The jailer got a torch and ran inside. Badly shaken, he collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He led them out of the jail and asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved, to really live? They said, put your entire trust in the master Jesus, then you'll live as you were meant to live, and everyone in your house included. They went on to spell out in detail the story of the master. The entire family got in on this part. They never did get to bed that night. The jailer made them feel at home, dressed their wounds, and then, he couldn't wait till morning, was baptized, he and everyone in his family. There in his home, he had food set out for a festive meal. It was a night to remember. He and his entire family had put their trust in God. Everyone in the house was in on the celebration. At daybreak, the court judges sent officers with the instructions, release these men. The jailer gave Paul the message, the judges send word that you're free to go on your way. Congratulations, go in peace. But Paul wouldn't budge. He told the officers, they beat us up in public and threw us in jail, Roman citizens in good standing. And now they want to get us out of the way on the sly without anyone knowing? Nothing doing. If they want us out of here, let them come themselves and lead us out in broad daylight. When the officers reported this, the judges panicked. They had no idea that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They hurried over and apologized, personally escorted them from the jail, and then asked them if they wouldn't please leave the city. 
Walking out of the jail, Paul and Silas went straight to Lydia's house, saw their friends again, encouraged them in the faith, and only then went on their way. Psalm 143 Listen to this prayer of mine, God. Pay attention to what I'm asking. Answer me. You're famous for your answers. Do what's right for me. But don't, please don't haul me into court. Not a person alive would be acquitted there. The enemy hunted me down. He kicked me and stumped me within an inch of my life. He put me in a black hole, buried me like a corpse in that dungeon. I sat there in despair, my spirit draining away, my heart heavy like lead. I remembered the old days, went over all you've done, pondered the ways you've worked, stretched out my hands to you as thirsty for you as a desert thirsty for rain. Hurry with your answer, God. I'm nearly at the end of my rope. Don't turn away. Don't ignore me. That would be certain death. If you wake me each morning with the sound of your loving voice, I'll go to sleep each night trusting in you. Point out the road I must travel. I'm all ears, all eyes before you. Save me from my enemies, God. You're my only hope. Teach me how to live to please you because you're my God. Lead me by your blessed spirit into cleared and level pasture land. Keep up your reputation, God. Give me life. In your justice, get me out of this trouble. In your great love, vanquish my enemies. Make a clean sweep of those who harass me. And why? Because I'm your servant. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 26. It's wrong to penalize good behavior or make good citizens pay for the crimes of others. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we gather before you today once again with grateful hearts, recognizing the immense wisdom and guidance that we find here in your word. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us through these passages, reminding us of your faithfulness and the incredible power that comes from just unwaveringly trusting in you. Lord, as we navigate the twists and turns of our lives, the detours, Lord, we Humbly ask for your wisdom and your discernment. Help us to walk in your truth, to emanate your light in all that we do. Open our eyes to see the opportunities and the challenges before us and give us the clarity to make choices that align with your will. Lord, we are asking for eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart to feel and a mind to understand. Lord, we pray for awareness. Awaken our spirits to the beauty and significance of each moment. Help us to be present and grounded. Fill us with the kind of inspiration that fuels our souls and ignites our passions, Lord. And when we are faced with adversity, grant us the resilience to persevere and the strength of will to overcome. Lord, in your loving and capable hands, we place not only our lives, but the lives of our family members and our friends, those in our communities and our churches, everyone who is connected to us. Lord, we ask that your presence be with us every step of the way. Way every single day, Lord. We trust that as we seek you, we will find you. And as we follow you, we will experience the overflow, the abundant life that you have promised us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And our affirmation for today, I embrace my potential and unleash its power within me. 
By taking action and pursuing my dreams, I prevent the pain of unrealized potential from weighing me down. I am committed to growth, progress, and the fulfillment of my purpose. Today, I choose to step into my greatness and live a life that truly reflects my unlimited potential. I embrace my potential and unleash its power within me. By taking action and pursuing my dreams, I prevent the pain of unrealized potential from weighing me down. I am committed to growth, progress, and the fulfillment of my purpose. Today, I choose to step into my greatness and live a life that truly reflects my unlimited potential. And our aphorism, potential unrealized becomes pain. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being on this extraordinary odyssey with me. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you. And if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.